Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always it's a pleasure to have you join me on the show again today. Well we're starting to get into our stride uh, a little bit now in this Women in Property series. Today Helen and I are joined on the show by Samantha Collette. Perhaps you may know her from the What Sam Saw Today blog which, as it happens, was also one of the sites that helped to inspire me to start the Property Voice about four or five years ago. And perhaps equally as famous, um, she is for her for one of her books, she's written about three now, but one of her books, which is How to Buy Property at Auction. Needless to say, Sam has a very interesting story, and in her own words, is living the dream. So let's have a listen now to find out more about that. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Well, here we are again, and it's uh, it's another episode in our Women in Property series. And uh, Helen and I were very pleased to welcome a special guest on the show today, which is Sam Collette. And Sam, hi, how are you? Hi. Are you well? I am very well, thank you. And you? Yeah, very well. Thank you very much. And uh, and Helen, are you doing well as well? I'm doing great, thanks. Yes, I'm really looking forward to talking to Sam today. She's got such an interesting story to share. So, yes. Absolutely. In fact, that, that's a cue, isn't it? So, Sam, we, we would like to start off by, you know, giving a little bit of context or a bit of a, a backstory, if you like, on, on our guests. And I imagine a lot of people will know about you already. But, you know, would you mind indulging us and sharing a little bit about your background and your story and obviously leading up to property in particular? But I know it wasn't all about property and hasn't all always been about property. So would you mind just taking us through that a little bit? Of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll keep it brief rather than boring people, but um, I started uh, in 2004 and I was in marketing before. And then um, my boss, who I used to work for, he got uh, 35 million and I got 15,000 when our company got bought out. And I thought, oh, that's a bit rubbish. So I better find uh, a new way of making some money. And uh, I quit that job because uh, I realized the only way I was going to make proper money was to be my own boss. And so I ended up going to auction uh, at a massive ballroom in London. I'd never done anything like that before. I hadn't been in property before. And I bought my first flat in Cambridge. And uh, I paid 88000 for that uh, back in the day, I know. And that was my first ever project that I did. And uh, I was absolutely clueless. I even hired a builder from the local newspaper called Bob Builder. Um, I spent £7,000 doing it up. Uh, it was actually meant to sell to someone like two weeks later, and then that sale fell through, and then another sale fell through because their surveyor had downvalued their house. And then I got talking to someone else who owned a flat in the block, and, and he was a landlord, and he said, why don't you check your rental payments and actually see if it covers the rent? He said, because I think you could make a shitload of money just doing that. And actually, that's when I became an accidental landlord. So that was 
that was the start. And then I moved on from that. I continued buying properties at auction and um, also, you know, to, to either sell or develop or to hold on to. I am very income driven. So that's always been, or perhaps you want to go to that later, but that's always been a key part of my strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so that's that's it. And uh, 15 years later, I'm still in the game. I'm not, I'm not as active, I guess, as um, perhaps a lot of uh, different property people are because well, I'm very fortunate. I've, I've got a good portfolio and um, there comes a time um, that you say, actually, I've got enough. I've, I've got a great life. Um, and, you know, what other interests do I want to explore? Fantastic. I mean, you you just missed a kind of a big chunk in the middle there. I feel, but um, <laughs> which is from from the first purchase in two thousand and four to essentially being able to choose how and kind of where you live. Um, so, um, what sort of changes have you seen over that period of time, and what sort of strategies did you did you really get into? Well, for me, uh, it's always it really auction is my favourite. I did do a few deals with estate agents, but especially if you're for some reason I've got a radar for like choosing um, repossessions, and it's very difficult there because um, you're turning them from perhaps you're getting uh, gazettes and you're putting different um, bids in or you know making plans for things that actually eventually may then fall through, and for me that was a real issue because. If I want to buy a property and I've done all my sums, then I want to buy it. And auction meant that I had that security of this is the property I'm buying, this is the price I'm paying, and this is the, the day at which you know we complete. So for me, auction has always been, it's not just about picking up bargains, it's also about the security and certainty of doing a deal and then how you sort of map that into your business plan. Mm. I'd quite like to mention here, Sam, um, so I think many people may think of buying at auction as being risky, but for you, it was kind of the opposite. Well, I mean, the thing is, at any deal, I mean, you've got to do your due diligence. Mm. And whether that's through an estate agent or not, I mean, it's just with auction, I guess you shortcut the process. You don't have as long, um, shall we say, to ponder about and... um, wonder whether you're going to buy it and wait for an estate, uh, a solicitor to come back to you with the legal pack. I mean, with auction, all the, all the information that you need to buy a property is actually available before you bid. All you've got to do is read that legal pack, ask any questions that you want. Um, you know, it, it really is quite straightforward. You know, people seem to think that it's some sort of scary thing. It's only scary if you don't do your homework. The only mistakes I've made were were, were my rash decisions and when I didn't do my homework. So, you know, it's it, buying a property auction is exactly the same as buying with an estate agent. You are just front loaded with all of the information beforehand and you just need to make sure that you do the, the, the research. That's it. Yeah, the homework and the research. We were chatting, sorry, mm. um, we, we were chatting to Vanessa Warwick recently and she, funny enough, gave one of her, in fact, if the, the number one tip is doing due diligence. So um, I think there's a bit of a recurring theme there. But, um, I mean, Helen, sorry, did you want to come back with, with something there before I maybe take it off on a tangent? Well, I was just going to say, so Sam is very well known for her um, What Sam Saw Today blog. And I remember probably a few years ago now uh, reading some of your posts about kind of why property auctions in real life are not uh, like homes under the hammer. 
And there's mm. some really, really amazing uh, kind of tips and um, and nuggets of information for people who are interested in buying at Property Auction in, in those posts. Oh, thank you, Helen. That's very kind of you to say. Yes, I mean, the, the thing that... The thing that I always tried to do was actually share the bad bits as well and the good bits, mm-hmm. you know, but also to look for the things to avoid because sometimes, you know, properties do go to auction that perhaps do have issues and you need mm-hmm. to be aware of them. You know, sometimes those issues can actually be sorted, you know, perhaps, you know, property's got subsidence or it's got some legal issues. But the the whole thing is, is about understanding what you're getting into. And, and mm. that's that's all it is. It's just about preparation. And you might buy something that's, I don't know, 100 grand cheaper than it should be. But if, mm. as long as you understand that perhaps you're going to spend 50 or 60,000 on a legal issue that then makes it worth the proper money, then that's fine. It's just, you know, people only cry and bitch about these things because they didn't actually do the homework. You know, I still watch Homes mm. in the Hammer you know, occasionally, you know, because I'm just, you know, I, I love auctions. You know, I, I am a recovering addict. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I went to auction a couple of weeks back and the auction fully expected me to bid. And I, and I had, I honestly, I had to really sit on my hands. I really struggle. I love it. I love the thrill of the chase. Um, but the thing is, the amount of people who go to auction, who don't look at properties, who don't do the homework, you know, who need mortgages, who who, who actually just seem to be thinking that they're, they're buying a lottery ticket. And I think mm. to myself, well, no, actually, you're buying a bloody liability. It's not always an asset. And mm. I think people, quite frankly, are quite stupid sometimes. You know, you don't always make money. And, and you need to accept that. And I think any regular in the auction room knows sometimes you're going to lose money. And that's just the way it is. It's like in any business, you can't always make a profit. You know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And that's funny, actually. Well, I mean, I might have got a bit blurry here with the uh, actual reference or source, but uh, I seem to, in your book, you wrote, you wrote about the book, uh, auctions, of course, is your, with your first book, which I, which I duly read, but it was a few years ago now, and that's why I'm a bit sketchy. But do, do you actually um, advocate going and doing a dry, a try run, try run, trial run? Yes, I do. I do. I do. Because, you know, it was something people saying just a couple of weeks back at this auction that I went to. And I was talking to a lady who'd been a, a successful um, uh, winner there. And she'd actually been watching YouTube videos before going to the auction. And I said to her, well, you know, did it prepare you? She said, it kind of did because she knew that she had to think about the gavel. She said, but what she wasn't prepared for was the emotion. And this mm. is the thing. And that's what I think overtakes a lot of people that you're not ready for that actually once you've once you've decided on this property and you've done all your due diligence and and you've you know perhaps paid out for a solicitor a surveyor you know you've got a mortgage sorted or finance sorted that you become so attached and the emotions and, and the adrenaline in the auction I mean it's just amazing it's like a drug mm. you know you're just there and it's just, it's just the best party you cannot believe how it feels and and when it's you and it's your property and just and, and that's the thing, like, even though you go on a dry run, just to understand how it works, I don't think anything ever properly prepares you for that moment when, you, when you, you know, your hand is nervously in the air, tremoring, you really want it, you know, it's like, it's like winning a battle, you know, it's just fabulous. Yeah, it's, it's primal, isn't it, I think, um, the, mm. it can be. Um, I do remember, actually, that advice, and in fact, I went to an auction 
um, following that particular advice. And I remember it clearly. It was in Kensington, I think. Um, the properties weren't, but the auction was. And um, I picked out a few lots and I thought, I'm going to track these and see how they go. And one or two got withdrawn before and I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then, you know, seeing the ones that happened. And I do remember very, very clearly. I think I sat there for about a couple of hours. I think it was something like that. And the auctioneer looked at me for the very last lot. And he said, are we planning to bid today, yeah. sir? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, did, did, did you feel tempted? Were you there? Were you like, oh, is it the bargain? Were you quickly on like, you know, right move out? Like looking if you could make well, any money. Were you like that? Yes, I was. And in fact, there was one, <laughs> there was one particular lot which um, yeah. ha- ha- no one was bidding on at all. And um, yeah. I was like, well, you know, I'm sure just put a number out there, you know, see what happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know? you, you want to put your hand up, don't you? You just yeah. know, you're like, oh, I must get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And in fact, somebody <laughs> did exactly that. Um, you know, who's obviously a professional developer. I say professional developer because I don't think they plan to bid on this a lot at all. They literally just did that. They put, well, I'll just have a bid then. Thanks very much. And uh, yeah. of course, it didn't, yeah. meet, it didn't meet the reserve. There was no real interest. I don't know what the problem with that particular property was, but I I think that's the thing, isn't it? When you when property is in an auction, it's usually there for a reason, and so it's to, as you say, do your homework and discover what that reason is. But listen, Alison, you've got that. Um, you've also got uh, repossessions, which there's not so many at the minute. But you've also got to remember that you've got councils and housing um, associations. They have to actually sell their stock at fair market value, and so they will go to auction. So you have a lot of properties like that. You know, don't always think that properties that are being sold at auction have got problems. You've got a lot of things um, which aren't of that ilk. It's just the method of sale is chosen by those organisations, like pension companies, for example, um, dispose at auction. You know, so, so don't don't be um, mistaken in that belief that everything's got a problem. Uh, okay, good point. Yeah. Um, just to, uh, I, I'll just sort of channel down it because I, I have never bought a property at auction. Would you believe? Oh, uh, you've missed out. Oh. I did miss out, and that's what I was about to say actually, because um, I've tried to buy at auction uh, on a number of occasions, but I set myself uh, a maximum price on based on my own research before I went in, and uh, essentially I got outbid. And so I guess my question is: um, Is it still a viable strategy today, or was I just picking mm. the wrong properties? Well, I guess what I'd ask you, out of the things that you got outbid by, how much did you get outbid by? Did you then revisit the numbers and did you actually look at what the other person, the successful bidder, what they might be doing differently? Could they be um, costing it differently? Were they trying to break the ceiling price with a particularly different renovation? Or did you ever revisit any of those properties to actually then see if that other upper bid could have mm-hmm. still make the deal work. Okay. So I think what I did do is maybe I went 180 or 270 degrees of that process, of that cycle. Um, in other words, mm-hmm. I don't think I ever went back like nine months, 12 months later to see what they created and perhaps if they flipped it on or something. I don't think I did that part, but I certainly uh, you know, evaluated you know, different approaches. So there were th- a few things, for example – that I knew could be done with a property, but that at that point in time, I didn't have the skill and expertise to do. So it was mm. off the table for me. So, for example, I knew that someone could perhaps get planning permission and, and, and you know, put a, an extra plot in the back garden or something like that. But I wasn't capable at that time to deliver on that kind of project. So I was probably outbid because I couldn't, you know, I didn't have the expertise and maybe I was just looking at a refurb or something like that. So 
I think it did do it to a I think, mm-hmm. yeah, but I, I think what you're saying there, though, I mean, they're different risk profiles. And every everybody, when they're getting into a project, should be clear about what they're willing to risk and what the risk to reward ratio is, you know, because sometimes it doesn't stack up. And this deal, you know, you're saying about, you know, there could have been a potential plot or maybe you could have potentially got planning permission. Maybe for you at that moment, it didn't work for you in terms of the sort of risk you wanted to take. And that's okay. You yeah, know, I think people get into trouble when yeah. when they bite off too much. They think everything's going to be fine, and do you know what? Sometimes it's not fine. Sometimes things do go wrong, and sometimes they go catastrophically wrong. And you need to be ready for that. You know, it's. I mean, I had a case actually just because. Um, I mean, this is a property I've owned for many years, and I, you know, the tenant moved out, and I thought I was just getting a periodic electric set done. Well, if I tell you, no, suddenly I was having a full rewire. Then I was suddenly doing the bath, and then I was doing suddenly doing the kitchen and then 20 grand later um i've got the property back now let me tell you i've owned that property for many years i was not ready for those things but sometimes these things happen and that's why you always have to have a contingency in anything you do whether you're trying to buy a new property or whether you own a property now it's really important you know that you always have a backup and and be ready because properties do go wrong even you know, even properties I've owned for many years, it's just it's just how they are. Couldn't agree more with that. I mean, and, and I do actually, you know, build a lot of contingency in, and I think I'm more of a realist, and you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm risk averse at all, actually, but I think I, I think I know my limits, and I think expertise limits was one of those in that particular occasion. But anyway, needless to say, I think one thing you do talk about, Sam, is that you know, there's different ways to make money in property and different strategies to pursue and. Uh, and and that sort of thing, but uh, so just before and we move off the actual, you, Richard. Oh, sorry, yes. Richard, but can I just tell you a word of advice? Is it always takes a lot longer and is a lot slower and more hard work than what any guru will ever tell you? It's no, never yeah. overnight. Yeah, I totally agree. No, I've done a few deals, Sam. I'm aware of that, and um, the. You're absolutely right, of course, that you need to, you know, add more time and add more cost and see if it still stacks. Totally agree. Um, just before we move off the auction topic, though, one, one question perhaps I did want to pursue with you was the fact that obviously you've got typically 28 days to complete on the purchase, haven't you? So how do you deal with the finances side of things in that context? I get it organized before. So I either it all depends. Um, how long I think I'm going to own the property for. So if it's going to be something that I'm going to add to the portfolio, then I will already organize a mortgage beforehand. Um, I don't actually remortgage. I don't do that, uh, which I know goes against a lot of advice. But if I'm looking to put it into the portfolio, that means that I want income drawdown from it. Okay. And if I'm looking to actually um, turn something on quite quickly, then I will take a commercial loan. Thank right. you. Uh, I, I, I'm re- I, I, I am so simple. I am not one of those creative people. You know, <laughs> I'm really, really, I'm so straightforward. You know, I'm sorry to disappoint that there's no magic formula, you know. That's a, that's a really good point, Sam. And and I have experience of, um, I, I nearly bought a, a property at auction a few years ago. I was very heavily pregnant and the excitement in the room was almost too much for me, I think. But mm. um, 
as it turns out, I've, I've been really good. I've done all my due diligence. I've visited the property. I've run all the numbers. And I think it was a great deal, actually. But unfortunately, um, our agreement um, in principle on a buy-to-let mortgage was due either on the morning of the auction or potentially next day. And, and sadly, it didn't land on the day of the auction. Mm. Um so we weren't we weren't in that um, on that occasion able to go ahead, but um, I do remember the, the sense of excitement. But yeah, I think that was that was my takeaway was to get my finance sorted a bit further ahead next time. Yes, yes. I mean, I mean, I was talking to to a young girl at auction, and uh, this one I went to a couple of weeks back, and um, she had come together with three other friends, and they were buying a property cash. They were doing it between them. Mm. They're doing a refurb and um, they plan to make things about 40, 50 grand on it, which I, I, you know, she showed me some numbers. I looked at what they were doing and, you know, I actually thought, yes, it, it looks like it was a possibility. Mm. Um, and I said to her, you know, keep in touch because I'd love to, you know, I, I, now because I'm trying to stay out of the auction room, but I still live vicariously, <laughs> you know, through people's purchases and, um, and I love it, you know, so even though I'm not, you know, as active, if you like, um, I'm still always watching, you know, I'm still always on the auction mm. alerts and, you know, if something came along, you know, I'm not saying uh, never say never, you know, never. but um, no. <laughs> yeah, well, do you know what? I think now would be the perfect point um, in our interview to ask you about your highs and lows. My highs and lows. Your highs and lows in your property investment career. Do you know, I think... My, I still love being able to provide people with homes and I may own the property, but actually it's people's homes and that means so much. And I had a tenant who moved out um, a couple of months back and it was just a diddy studio flat that she was in and she'd been there for like four years. And when I went, you know, do the inspection, I was saying bye. She gave me such a big hug and she said to me that staying there saved her life. And honestly, it still brings tears to my eyes now. Because she was at a point in her life when everything was going wrong. And I I did it by instinct for her to move in. And um, and I was so excited because actually she really got her life on track and um, mm. was now moving in with her boyfriend and got a new career and everything. And I think, I think that's the thing is that I feel it's not just about money and and I, I, I kind of like my tenants are like my extended family. You know, sometimes we really pee me off, and other times I love them to death. And I, and I just, I feel really proud actually to be a part of helping people. And, mm. and but yeah, that that makes me that that is still my high now. You know, after after you know fifteen odd years in the game, I mm. still yeah that that's what makes the most to me. You know, which funny enough, you know, I, I was reflecting. I thought, yeah, there's there's. I mean, I've done loads of different properties and made different money on different things, but no, it, actually, it's still it, it's the people. It's the people that make the business. Well, that's that's funny because well, not funny, haha. But we um, we've spoken to several um, guests in this series now, and pretty much everyone has said that fundamentally, property is a people game. Mm. Mm. Um, and I know. Um, it's so important to have a really compelling why 
And it's not just about the financial returns, but it's got to be about something more meaningful as well, I think, but certainly for many investors. And it sounds like you're certainly one of them. I mean, totally. I mean, it's. I I feel like I'm somehow, you know, a part of people's lives in in a good way. I like to think it's in a good way. You know, I you know I'm not. It, I don't know how to explain to you the relationship, but I think I have a, a nice close relationship with my tenants. I, I love it when they send me pictures of their children or they've got a new pet or whatever. And it's not just that they're asking for permission. It's just it, it's just. It's a really nice relationship. It's kind of like you're a friend. It's you, you know yeah. you're part of the support network. Yeah, I think it's great, isn't it? Because I think landlords get a bad rap, don't they? A lot of the time. Do. Uh, and sometimes it's deserved, I have to say. But of course, the media portrayal sometimes isn't quite you know the majority. Let's say that. And um, I know you you've got you know media posts, for example, and I'm sure you're helping to redress the balance, but. No, not all landlords are bad people. You know, a lot of landlords are there and, um, you know, to provide safe and habitable, warm, you know, ha- homes for people uh, over an extended period of well, time. It, mm-hmm. it, it is, you know, and I think, you know, the, I guess the, the, the problem is, you see, being a landlord, I mean, is an absolute luxury and a privilege because you get to earn money and you don't have to go out to work in an office and that's why I can understand why so many people want to actually get into the game because it is wonderful. You know, I get to travel the world. I'm sitting here now talking to, you know, from my place in London. Um, I've got properties all over. And I'm really, really fortunate that my my time is my own. And, you know, as long as I, you know, uh, resolve any issues that may arise, um, then as long as my tenants are happy, my customers, you know, as long as they're happy, then I'm happy. And that's, that's always how I've run things. And that's always what I'm looking for. You know, I, I, I want it like a happy family. And if then, I mean, I'm so fortunate that I just get to travel and just get to just, I mean, it is, it's living the dream. It sounds um, it sounds fantastic when you put it that way, Sam, and and it is. Um, I think Richard's right. Landlords do get such a bad press, but certainly the vast majority of landlords who I've met are decent people wanting to create a great product for their for their customers, who obviously are their tenants. But how about? Um, your biggest mishap in property. We've talked about the, the you know the good things, but how about your, your biggest failure or mishap? Right, but this is all my own fault, okay? And it's uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing to do with anyone else. And it is where I decided uh, to buy a couple of flats at auction without reading the legal pack. And one of them was um, a flat, I can't remember, it was somewhere in Hertfordshire, maybe. And um, I was about to uh, complete, and then we had a letter from the freeholder, and I had to pay all the unpaid service charges from the previous person, which totaled over 15000 And then there was another flat that I bought. Again, you know, <laughs> learned the lesson. I should have learned it. But anyway, it was a bit, bit hot on the tail. I, I, they were brought very close together. So... Um, I bought a flat for buy to let where actually you're not allowed to buy to let. <laughs> oh. <laughs> had a clause in it. I had a clause in it. So uh, I was a bit stuffed from that one. Um, so 
I uh, quickly learnt the lesson from that and uh, any leasehold flat because, you know, these were two, uh, um, what are they called? They've got a, um, a particular name in law. Anyway, there were these particular clauses which I hadn't noticed. Obviously now I know exactly what they mean. Um, but now I always get a solicitor to check any leasehold property before I bid because um, I was fortunate. Those weren't really too expensive mistakes. And luckily, you know, the buy-to-let flat that you couldn't actually buy-to-let, you know, I just sold on to a, um, a private owner. However, they could have been a lot bigger. And so I I had like an early warning sign, if you like. And then from that, then uh, I changed and learned and got better. And I tried. <laughs> mm. it's, um, it's really interesting. I think you're absolutely right about the research part. But I think apart from the research part and the due diligence and reading the legal pack, as, you, as you've described, um, and by the way, the legal pack can change at the last minute, can't it? Um, yes. But um, I was wondering more about the sort of character and personality traits that you might need to be in property for 15 years or more. Can you perhaps elaborate a little bit about uh, what type of person or what type of personality traits uh, someone might need to be that, you know, that long in the game, as it were? I think you need uh, resilience. That's probably uh, the key thing, because I've made plenty of mistakes over the years. And you just get up and you do it all again. And you learn. And that's it. You know, I mean, I don't sit here telling you that I'm the best landlord in the world. Of course, I'm going to make mistakes. You know, of course, I'm going to do something that maybe I thought was the right decision or maybe was was a good idea. And then perhaps six months, a year from now, I then realize it's not so good. Maybe, you know, I've changed or the world's changed or, you know, you've learned something new. And so I think always you have to you have to understand that you you try and do the best you can at this moment in time and accept that you're not always going to get it right. You know, be be the bigger man. You don't always have to have the last word. And and just be honest, you know, I don't I don't pretend to be something I'm not, you know, I don't have all the answers. And so I just I just try my best and then I just yeah, you just keep getting up. That's it. There's you know, you just yeah, resilient. You gotta a lot of bounce back ability. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really useful um quality to have in just for life in general really isn't it but particularly in in business and in property it'd be great to understand a bit more about your principles and values sam um and perhaps things you might do differently and and other things that you would never change about yourself um i guess i think the key thing is i i keep in mind that it's a long game Mm. that you shouldn't go around uh, antagonizing people. You should be very careful who you uh, annoy. <laughs> it's better not to <laughs> argue with people. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that I don't argue with people. And I, it's, it's, I, I don't lose my temper as much anymore. Of course, you know, I get stressed. But I think... In the earlier days, when I first started, I think I was very feisty. I was very goal-driven. And I have mellowed. <laughs> you know, I, think, I think 15 years of tenants and all the lies and all the shits I've seen, you just end up, nothing surprises me anymore. Not one thing. 
you know, and and I'm just like, if you told me it couldn't happen, you know, the next day it would have happened, you know, and I think <laughs> it's kind of like this, I, can, I have to tell you, it ends up like an acceptance, you know, that mm. shit will happen, no matter what you try and do about things, it's going to happen, so you might as well accept it, understand you've got to resolve things, um, understand that life isn't as sexy and as amazing as what the films make out um sometimes it's really boring making money actually making money is really boring it is a formula and i think people forget that it's just you get on you do the work and you just got to turn up and then you keep doing it and then something will go wrong and then something else will go wrong and then everything will go wrong but then you have to look for the something that's right and that's it very good. Um, in fact, you wrote you, well, your second book was uh, you called it the the essential rules, but I mm. think I read in there that actually they're more like principles, aren't they? Um, then maybe maybe the essential rules is a good title, but I think it was uh, principles that you you kind of lived by and you'd learned from in, in your property journey. Um, mm. One of the ones that really I'm just, I think there's about a hundred. There's 101. I know there's 101. In fact, I know there's 101 because yeah. I really like your your bonus one. Uh, but the, the the one that stood out was grow a pair. So, yeah. So yeah. I wasn't sure what kind of pair you were referring to, but um, I think I get you. You know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. A pair of balls. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, I know I continue to say it. but uh, So, you know, that's – I'm talking to a few people um, of late, and the reason I've actually mentioned that particular one is um, a lot of people are a little bit fearful uh, about this game. And, you know, I, I'm perhaps cueing you into a certain direction with your response, but, you know, what would you say perhaps to someone who's a little bit afraid, a little bit, you know, just reserved about stepping out? Well, is it that people are fearful in their life in general anyway? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure why you'd be fearful of property. I mean, I'd probably be more scared about having to turn up at the office every day. Yeah, I think it's personal, in other words. I think one of the, one of the big ones is, you know, it's a, it's a big financial transaction. Maybe there's some debt attached to it and, you know, financial ruin could be the end game and all sorts of Armageddon types of uh, outcomes might, may come into mind. I mean... I guess the, the thing that I think about, I mean, I, I don't really see this industry as any different to any other sort of industry. And the fact that, I mean, people turn up for work and they think that they've got a job that they can rely on and then suddenly they could get sacked and not have that job to rely on. Whereas with property, if you've bought the right property, and by the way, uh, there are no right or wrong answers, so I shouldn't really use that term like that. I mean, most properties will rent for most people, okay? It's just a matter of how much money you will make. But property is, for me, and this is just my opinion, this is way safer than any sort of job I could have. I mean, somebody could sack me tomorrow. I mean, yes, my tenants may leave, you know, most of them don't. They stay with me for many, many years. But sometimes they go on, they buy another property or, you know, and usually they might go to another landlord, but that's normally in a different area. Um, but I, I will find a new tenant pretty easily, you know. And so I guess I struggle to sort of see the danger in that because this is you 
creating an income-producing asset for the rest of your life. I mean, maybe I don't fully understand. Maybe maybe I'm just too entrenched in my way of thinking. <laughs> I think um, I think to be honest, you talked about risk profiles earlier, and um, mm. you know, uh, I think you can get into property and you can de-risk. Or I'm not saying you can totally eliminate risk because that would be foolish. But you can reduce the risk or contain the risk or have an, an alternative plan in case something happens. So that's true. But equally, I think what you've just said is, you know, there's risk with ev- everything in life, you know, particularly employment or a business, for example. So um, at least with property, usually they have some some sort of intrinsic value. Um, and time is a great healer as well in property. I've, I've bought many a property that I intended to flip on and next door neighbor put their property on for a reduced price, you know, within, you know, a few weeks, which kind of killed my deal. So I kept it. And, you know, in fact, that particular property I'm thinking of right now has proved to be a very profitable um, service accommodation apartment um, over, over several years. So, you know, it's twists and turns, but you can navigate, can't you? Well, this is it. I mean, but, I mean, people should never do anything that they don't feel comfortable with. And so if, to be honest, I see the debt um, as the easiest part of the equation because it's actually the renting the property out or selling the property or finding the customers to do what you want them to do. And you managing that is the hardest part. If you as a person who, I mean, I've known other people who made like a lot of money and then they've invested in property. And they weren't ready for, even though they had the mouse, they weren't ready for the agent to call them about asking them about this, asking them about that. And and I think it's, it, it is for particular people and to understand more, what is it you're trying to get out of this? What is your end goal? What is your target? For me, I've always been very, very simple. And I've been living off my property income well, since, just before I was 30. Um, and, and that's it. I wanted to replace my day job with my property income. And that is something that is achievable. However, you've got to be very goal orientated. You've got to be very mathematical about how you're doing it. And you're not going to be buying the sexiest properties that suddenly in 10 years are going to be time are going to be worth a million times more. Um, but it's it's very it's just straight business sense. <clears throat> and I guess perhaps because of my way of viewing it, then Yes, I understand it's a bit of debt, but when that debt is serviced and you've got a surplus of four times more than that every month, this is a completely different business model. It is, isn't it? Um, and I guess you know, you've been very successful with your property portfolio. It'd be interesting to move on now to, to how um, that has affected your current lifestyle uh, and the choices that you're able to make now as a result of, of that successful income from property? Well, I mean, I've done an amazing life. I I do, frankly, whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know it sounds a bit, uh, I don't want to sound, you know, like too smug or whatever, but I'm so flipping lucky because... Everything I've done, I guess, built to this. And so I can understand why people want to invest in property. I mean, the risks I took, <clears throat> yes, they, they were risks, but I had an end goal. I, I understood 
you know, what it was I was aiming for, um, would I do it all again? Well, yes, in a heartbeat, because it was it was about the maths. It was about understanding, right, how much money do I need to replace? How can I do this? Um, and even when the financial crisis hit, you know, that was that was really difficult. Don't get me wrong. And, you know, the changes for the landlord tax and everything. But because it had been built on income and not on the gamble of capital gains, then mm. it's a different business model. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not denying, yes, I've got some properties which have got, you know, good capital gains and everything. I still own them now because actually every year they go up so much more. <clears throat> and I just think, look, unless I need to sell, then I don't really want to sell those. I have, unlike um, lots of other people, I started selling, um, it must be like three years ago now, because of um, the tax rule changes. And I thought that maybe there was going to be a, a, a flood of properties onto the market. I probably called it a bit too soon. But I started selling some properties so that then I could actually deleverage. And that was another thing. And yeah. I still continue to do that. I, there are many landlords who disagree with the fact that I've got some of my portfolio on repayment. But I love that. That that gives me security. And I think I'm now at a stage, I guess, where it it is about shoring up everything I've got. You know, I, but I never take it for granted, not for one flipping minute, because you don't know. You know, I'm really, really fortunate in, in my everyday life. And, and every day I say to myself, my God, you are so lucky. And and I know I'm living the dream. And so I have to try and protect that. And the only way I can do that is by looking after my business and looking after my tenants. So it's really um, interesting to hear that you you don't you know you're not taking things for granted despite the level of success that you you've um, created for yourself. So in terms of people who um, and perhaps women in particular, this is a women in property series um, who are thinking about starting a property investment journey, or, or perhaps they're in the early stages. Or they're looking to turn around in some way. Maybe they've um, they've got a portfolio, and the recent changes have, have meant that it's not looking quite so rosy there. So, what advice do you have? Um, what are your top tips, Sam? I think I would learn more practical skills because over the years I've amassed a lot of skills from shadowing builders and doing different projects. But to actually understand why a property may have a problem, and to actually then be able to fix it it's an awful it's an awful lot better to learn this now because then you don't go get shafted by someone telling you a million and one different things that actually aren't wrong with the property so i would say actually get more practical knowledge try and learn as much about buildings as early as you can because a lot of this is not just about doing the deal it's actually about understanding a the building but also understand yourself and really be honest because I think a lot of people want to get into this game but they don't really think about what it involves now I tell you yes I mean I I can travel the world and I've traveled the world twice over however I am on call 24 7 okay Mm. so that I mean I I was in the foothills of Mount Ime in China (laughs) and a tenant called me because they had a blocked toilet 
I haven't had <laughs> Wi-Fi for five minutes. I was a bit peeved because I wanted to speak to my mum, you know. However, it's something that then I then dealt with. I then said, right, okay, my system of looking after things had fallen down a bit on that. So I found the crack and then I, you know, fixed it to make sure that that wasn't going to happen again. But you have to really be honest with yourself. Are you willing to do this? And listen, this industry is not just about buying, selling or renting properties. It's a massive industry. There are so many different ways you can get involved. And maybe it's just actually someone likes decorating. You know, you can have that part of the business, you know, or maybe actually you want to get into a state agency or maybe surveying. I think to just think in terms of, oh, I just want to be, you know, a property investor is really narrow. There are so many different areas. You can make tons more money as well, not just from from this that there are there are so many other ways that you can make money and I think people need to be honest with themselves about what it is they want to do but the more you know about the topic and the more you know about things then the better it is that's really good I just want to jump into that because I think there's some really good points you made there Uh, I'm wondering if there's any you know um, particular challenges that that face women you know in particular and maybe you could just reflect on that but I wanted to actually just before we maybe start to wrap up start you know ask you about your writing because um, you know in all honesty your blog uh, what Sam saw today and obviously the books that you wrote subsequently, they were, they were quite an inspiration for me to write my own blog and start the Property oh, Voice, Sam. You. Yeah, no. So, but just tell us a little bit about that, the writing and the passion behind it, perhaps, and um, where it's gone and, and how you've managed to dovetail that in with your life and your business. Well, the blog I started many, many years ago, and that was to share different journeys. And that, I mean, that was off the back of, um, I'd been in Stylist magazine, and they did like a work-life um, feature, because at that time, um, you didn't really have many people, uh, many women, especially buying property at auction. Um, and to Helen's point just earlier, um, people used to think I was the PA, you know, so they never saw me as competition, which was fine. You know, I, I'm, I'm OK <laughs> using uh, sexism for my leverage. Not a problem. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I was so inundated. At the time, I used to have a letting agent. And... We got absolutely inundated with phone calls and emails. So I started the blog and I actually used to really enjoy it because there's so many auction properties I used to go and see, which then I didn't end up buying for whatever reasons. I got outbid or something. Um, But always, uh, I used to, I still believe this now, you know, whenever you go and see a property, you should at least have a decent meal. And so this was always my thing. I know lots about the country and I love lots of different restaurants all around because I love this. You know, this is, it, it is, in my world, it's a lifestyle business, okay? It, and, it, and it's amazing. But from that, then um, the book publishers, I spoke to them because I met Martin from Home to the Hammer last year at the London Book Fair and he was with his agent. And she was taking the mech out of him because um, despite the success of Homes Under the Hammer, they had never brought out a, um, a book about how to buy property at auction. And um, <laughs> I was out drinking with them and uh, he was laughing at me and all the different stories. He, he'd seen my book and how I said, uh, not to the top spot, and, well, not that he even had a book out. Um, and I really enjoyed doing that. And then the property investment, the rules followed that. And then... The blog was doing really well, but I've got to be honest, I then said, um, 
I don't think I want to write about property anymore. I mean, I, I used to write for a state gazette. I still write for a state gazette with features, but I used to have a column on the Evening Standard. Um, and then I felt, I felt very defined by property. And I thought, well, actually, there's more I can do, and I'd like to write other stuff, and I want to travel. And so I stopped writing the blog, and I stopped doing so many property things because I said, there is a massive world out there, and I want loads more adventures. And I don't want them to always involve bricks and mortar, you know. <laughs> That's it, you know. And um, so so that's what I did. And then last year, um, my first novel, Eternal Forever, was published. I am now working on a second novel. And so I am now making this crazy transition from, uh, so I was marketing and then property. And now um, now I'd really like to be a novelist. So uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm on the Society of Authors Management Committee. I'm very involved with a lot of writers' awards. So things like this this is now my new my new career path and and I am so blessed because all of it came from property and a lot of people won't know this but Shakespeare was a massive landlord back in the day and that's how he had the ability to write as well wow I, I didn't know that at all mm. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder that's if so got inspiring a, sorry come on <laughs> it is inspiring and um, I'm glad you shared that and I think the the fact is that you you probably got choices now that you you can make and how you spend your time and you can go you can go off and write the novels. Um, I saw I saw that you changed direction with the latest novel. Um, interesting concept, by the way, was it? But the whole digital legacy that we leave behind. I think. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I saw that, and um, I wish you all the best with that. I, but I think the, oh. as a fellow writer. Um, you, you have said quite a few things about writing and how is it, sometimes you can be really in the flow and then the phone goes and you've just completely lost it and things like that. It's so relate, so relate. But I think what I really wanted to go back to is the whole foundation of having a platform, which is your property portfolio, which then allows you to do different things with your life. Um, clearly, travel and writing are two. So, um, you know, you've invested for 15 years and I'm sure you were um, free before the 15 years to, to do these things. So hopefully that's acting as an inspiration to other people to, to maybe follow suit. Which I think everybody can, as long as they understand, as long as they understand the risks involved and I guess the timeline, you know, and it's not always going to go right. But if you keep in mind the end goal, then I think it's worth it because I think to myself, you know, I look at my friends now who who remains in marketing and yes, they travel the world and you know, it's first class, business class, and they've got, you know, amazing salaries and everything. But I look at my life and I'm like, yeah, but actually I get to travel the world and I've got good money coming in. And look, I don't even have to go to an office. I mean it's it's amazing. I have I have to sort out a few problems. That's it. You know, it's 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 the best job in the world. It is. It is. Um, although, you know, it's, it, I don't want to sort of actually add a, a negative. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I was just thinking of a personal experience I had literally yesterday. So I, I, do you know what? You've just got to remember yeah. in any job, you're going to have bad days and good days. And sometimes there are some utter twits, which are just, just you know, they're just not even worth bothering us about, you know, but most people, 99.9% of the population they want to be good people. And as long as you always remember that and you always look for the good in people, then I think you'll be fine. Very wise words, very wise words. So, mm. Sam, it's been, it's been fantastic. I just wonder if, if there's anyone who perhaps wants to connect with you in any way, perhaps if you wouldn't mind saying 
contact details that people could take a note of if they wanted to reach out to you or, or places to go to read, if you like, what, what's going on. Would you mind sharing that sort of information? Sure, sure. Um, well, my, I mean, my books are on Amazon about how to buy property at auction and property investment rules. Uh, you know, they're also in the library. So if people uh, you know, don't want to buy, you can borrow those from the library. And if they want to learn about uh, social media and how to protect their digital legacy, then I think my novel, Eternal Forever, is uh, uh, a good read. And then the best way to contact me would probably be through my blog, What Sounds For Today, which... I did start writing again, and then it wrote me. It, I, I kind of wrote myself into a new novel, and it really inspired me because I was looking every day how to find more happy, and that has been absolutely fantastic. Of my new journey I started uh, this year, so then I got so busy. So I found so much happiness, but then I had to start a new novel. So that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to share all those uh, links in the show notes. Um, I was uh, busy catching up actually on some of your earlier books before we spoke today. And um, I think maybe the f- most fitting way I could uh, draw a conclusion from my thoughts today, your, your bonus rule, which was to be you. And uh, it sounds like you, you're sort of living embodiment of that. Um, just the way you come over, you're definitely being you, aren't you? And so, mm. um, but I think it's being you is, is, in, is very personal. It's very individual. Uh, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to it add is. to that. I think, you know, I think I think it's really easy to get caught up in this industry and look at the gurus and look at the people who are earning all this money and apparently doing all these deals. And it goes back to a point you said earlier that not always do you want to take the risk. Not always do you want to take those tenant phone calls. And that's also okay. And I think people need to accept that. They need to understand who they are what they're good at and don't pretend to be someone else there's no point thank you that's a a really really good point sam um and i just wanted to to thank you so much for for joining richard and i today on the show and talking us through your property journey um and now your your journey into writing it's been really uh, informative it's been it's been lovely talking so thank you very much for the opportunity been a pleasure. Thanks, Sam. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Wish you all the best. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, as with Vanessa last time, Samantha shared so many pearls of wisdom in her inimitable style. She made her name and also her portfolio of income-generating buy-to-lets primarily through auction purchases and confessed to still being something of a recovering addict even today. Auction addict, that is. (laughs) Uh, Despite travelling around the world twice. So she's uh, not afraid to roll her sleeves up and muck in and uh, learn the trades, as it were. Uh, But she also admitted to using gender stereotype to her advantage as well, too. I really enjoyed hearing about some of her principles and suggested character traits as well, which is going to help in this business. Uh, the first one, of course, is it's a long game. Uh, but equally, don't antagonize people. Shit will happen. And the need for bounce back ability. And finally, to just be you. Uh, recognizing also that making money is essentially a boring formula that you simply get to repeat. But she also talks of risk and fear almost as if it doesn't exist in her in her world, uh, or at least how it does not affect her. 
and how the idea of a safe and steady job can be far riskier as we are at the mercy of other people, of course. Finally, as she puts it, she has the best job in the world and as long as she protects the business and looks after her tenants, she can have an amazing life to do, frankly, whatever she wants. As again, she said in her own words. Now, if this doesn't inspire you, I don't know what will. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed our little chat. And if you want to connect with Samantha, then make sure you check out uh, whatsamsawtoday.com, uh, which is her blog, to read more. And her contact details are on there as well. And so many, many of the signposts of some of the books that she has. And of course, you can connect with her directly as well. But okay, that's all from me for this week. Uh, if you want to talk about anything about uh, property uh, or, or today's show, then you know you can email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and I'd be more than happy to hear from you. The show notes can be found at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. I guess all that's left to say is thank you very much for listening again this week, and until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.